Hello, I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And welcome to the Told You So podcast, a slightly truncated edition this morning. <laughs> We're just going to be doing a half hour. Uh, we, we got shit to do, folks. Yeah, it's a big day. Big day out here in Manchester. <laughs> it's supposed to be thunderstorms. I've been building a pond. Hopefully the thunderstorms won't destroy Flood the, the pond. pond. Yeah. <laughs> the pond we'll brink out. looks lovely. You should be Thank very you. proud of yourself. I have to say, I did say to my husband last week when we were out about and traveling, I was like, <laughs> the Joneses are putting up a good game here on our cul-de-sac. We're going to have to start uh, doing some stuff. Pond with waterfall, it should be mentioned. <laughs> yes, pond with waterfall with beautiful plants and gurgles and bubbles and does all the good stuff that ponds and waterfalls are supposed to do. Soon there will be grass. Anyway, so my hope is that uh, my pond, in the face of torrential downpours and, you know, the angry thunderbolts of Zeus Zeus and or, you know, uh, Thor being thrown about the sky, I hope that my pond is (laughs) anti-fragile. By which you mean neither robust nor resilient. (laughs) But a different thing entirely. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about the concept of anti-fragility, which I I thought was kind of an interesting one uh, because I heard it first in the context of uh, uh, Jonathan Haidt talking uh, in that Jonathan Haidt, Greg Lukanoff uh, piece, The Coddling of the American Mind. Or is that what it's called, right? The Coddling of the American Mind? Yeah, I mean, that's what the book's called. Or The American Student? Yeah, I can't remember if it's uh, the student it's, or the mind that's being coddled. No, it's it's uh, the coddling of the American mind. Wait, I'm, I think, yeah, I think, I think I'm think jamming together his book. His other book is the Righteous Mind. mind. So I think yeah, I'm kind of doing it's, a combo. Um, I think it's the coddling of we don't know. Just They're coddling something forward, horribly. But you read about it in that. Yes, exactly. Yes. Someone's being coddled, and they don't like it. <laughs> and, uh, no, the the sad part is the people do like the coddling, right. and that's the danger. Right is is creating this sort of safe space that is the world, which is a totally fake way of looking at it. Because you right. know what, folks, the world isn't safe. Life is suffering, as Jordan Peterson likes to say. And you know, so as, I think that, that we got to toughen up. It was Buddha, not Jordan Peterson, well, who sure. said that first. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I, I was just trying to be sort of contemporary. You know, good old Buddha. Yeah, wouldn't that be a trip if uh, Jordan Peterson was, uh, you know, I, I know after you ascend and you reach nirvana, you're supposed to, you know, get out of the, the cycle of mortal, you know, toil and shame. But what if it turned out that Jordan Peterson was like Buddha 8.0 and he didn't know it? <laughs> he, and he, he like figures it out one day and he tries to tell everyone about it and they're like, no, you're a fascist Nazi. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm definitely the Bodhisattva. <laughs> That think, sounds like a being John Malkovichy kind of screenplay right there, right? You can have be... like this this existential crisis mm. of this English professor, you know, I mean, I know he's a sociologist <laughs> or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or yeah. one of those, you know. But yeah, anti-fragility, <laughs> sort of this concept of um, I mean, where where I sort of heard about it was in that, but mm. also then, of course, there's a book by some dude. The uh, Taleb? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, who sounds like he should be a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> he's, um, actually, he's a really, really good writer. There's uh, He also wrote Black Swan and several other... Uh, and, and Black Swan I read. Um, I'm pretty sure I read Anti-Fragility, but sadly, you know, I don't remember anything, so right. I, I read them. I like to think I read things. And sort of process it on some subconscious level that <laughs> gives time. me no, 
that gives me a form of intelligence that is very fluid. Like mm. I can't really like quote anything or remember any names, but I know stuff. Interesting. This so is my theory, you're folks. Is that you have a, a different <laughs> epistemology or way of knowing than. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it sounds crazy, but, like, one of the things I would do, I mean, I read a lot, right? But I can't name one character in one book mm. because, like, when I'm reading a, a book, say, you know, I'll, I, like, in my mind, I'm, like, pro-tag, and-tag, side characters. I remember the letter of the name of the character. So, like, when I'm reading, I'm just coding, and I'm, like, A is the pro-tag, you know? So, you and so like I, the... Yeah, so, so so when I'm done, I'm like, who are the characters? What were they saying? What happened? You know, but then I'm like, I have a general sense mm. of something going on. I do know what you mean. Uh, you remember, like, the broad strokes and not the details. Yeah. But the broad strokes and, are kind of what matters sometimes. Yeah, and... And, and then other times the details matter, and you're like, damn it. <laughs> I well, wish and, I remembered details. And, and, I'm and, the same way. And I like to, you know, I like to think I'm, I, I, I'm someone with some form of original thought, right? Like, everyone wants to be an original. Like, you want to be an interesting, original person. And so I'm like, that's a lot easier when you're like, I don't know what anyone else had to say about this matter. Let me tell you what I think. I could be plagiarizing wholesale, but I wouldn't know it, so it doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah, me me and Biden, man. (laughs) Well, anyway, so back back to sort of the main topic. So, yeah, in in the coddling of the American mind – Luke Hanoff and Jonathan Knight talk about this this concept extensively, um, and particularly in, in terms of uh, the idea that humans, I mean, naturally we are anti-fragile. Like there's you 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 can go through a lot and make it out the other side as a human being, both you know physically and emotionally. Um, I know that for me personally, like for example, I I was somebody that has had a lot of physical accidents and injuries in my life and well you know pulling trucks will do that well break. i mean lo- <laughs> long before i did any strongman stuff i mean i in like seventh grade i i tried to cook hush puppies and i set my leg on fire Ooh. and like i broke my collarbone riding my bike and i Ow. broke my left arm skiing and my right arm playing football and i you know i've had a lot of injuries and in retrospect I'm like wow that's a lot like other people are like I've never broken a bone and I'm like how <laughs> weren't you running around and jumping over things and hitting I broke people my and... first arm when I was like 18 months old <laughs> and I would eat the um, the bandaid because if you're like uh, that little they can't give you a, a yeah they, they it has to be a soft one because the other ones are too heavy yeah. for a baby's arm Aww. so I would just like eat it off so my mom would tell these stories where she would come into the nursery and I'd just be standing in the morning like in my crib like with my my arm and my mouth like ripping off the bandage <laughs> but I mean as, as so there's there's a couple of different ways that you can go with those kinds of experiences and I think that based on um, sort of the current paradigm of, of the correct way to treat people emotionally uh, the right reaction for me for any of those, like, the right reaction for me should have been to, like, have PTSD about cooking because I set <laughs> right. my leg on fire, right. you know? Like, by the by the rules of modern discourse, that should have been a traumatic experience. I probably need therapy about it. I, you know, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if I never saw the inside of a kitchen again, and that would be reasonable to avoid triggering myself. 
And I don't think that there's anything reasonable about that at all. In fact, I love cooking. I and went, you're a I, great chef. I got yeah. right back on that horse, that fiery horse. <laughs> I, Still I a fan of hush puppies? I, actually, no. But <laughs> I have good, I have good. not filled a, a big. Uh, I don't know what even the term is. Cauldron? Right. Is, I mean, giant of ass. Oil. Big yeah. ass pot mm. is what I would call it. Of Yeah, I haven't filled one with vegetable oil and put it on high since then. But yeah. So, so can <laughs> I, I learned t- my lesson. Can I, can I tell you my quick vegetable oil story? Sure. <laughs> I, um, I did not burn myself, but I almost burnt down uh, my house. That's uh, a little terrifying. Yeah, I was like... 17, I think it was like first or second, I think it was first year in college, and um, my boyfriend came over, and uh, in giant air quotes, as we would tell my parents, we were going to watch a video. You uh, can make up your own... Watch a um, video. Uh, you know, make your own assumptions here, folks. We're and while we were watching the trailers of the video, <laughs> I'd put a little oil on the pan in the pot to... Make popcorn, yep. and then uh, the the trailers were way longer than we expected. <laughs> and uh, when I noticed what was happening, the kitchen was on fire. Oh my god! Uh, oil will burn black. Yes, uh, it will turn everything in the kitchen black. It's not one of those quick ones where you can just cover it up. You are going to have to explain to your parents why you burned down the kitchen. That's why I set my leg on fire accidentally because I, I did all the right things. I tried to cover it. I tried to put salt in it to put it out. I tried to cover it with a lid, and then I tried to bring it outside after all previous attempts failed, and then flame came out of the lid and hit Oof. me, and so I wow. dropped it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so you're listening to Injuries with Carla and Brink. (laughs) (laughs) Now sponsored by Neurosport. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But but anyway, so just from, I mean, my own personal experience, I think that there's... uh, there's a lot to be said for this this concept because some of the things that I enjoy most in life have to do with things that have been like deeply painful and traumatic to me in the past. Uh, but you know, it, time and uh, practice has transmuted those terrible experiences into learning experiences. Well, uh, that's that how let me we live learn. more fully, yeah. right? So, so what Talib says actually in his book, right? So, so one of the things I found interesting was that. He talks or he comes up with this frame, uh, this phrase, anti-fragility, because he says it's it's something different to resilience and robustness. And that really struck me because I've always thought about resilience as, you know, being sort of steadfast after a negative experience. Yeah. And, and he seemed to look at it through the lens of, no, all resilience does is that you powered through, like you didn't change at all. And mm-hmm. I was like... I didn't look at the words resilience or robustness that way at all. In fact, I think of resilience as sort of like, yes, you power through, but if you're powering through something, it will change you. That's just right. the very nature of having experienced something, both positive and negative. And so I was like, hmm, it seemed a little gimmicky, to be yeah. honest. Like they were like, oh, we want to come up with this new phrase. But then right. I, I mean, also. Right, it is a pop philosophy book. So. Right. <laughs> but, but then I also understood that, you know, this guy is, is primarily uh you know he's a mathematician as well and so he was really looking at uh, it through a mathematic and economic lens statistical lens yeah yeah as well and i was like oh okay so we kind of have you know someone who's more 
uh, you know, on the, on the spectrum of, of, of math, science, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. who's also trying to make this theory accessible to, you know, the dummies like me, where it's, you know, a more linguistic whatever. And I watched a really yeah. good interview with, uh, with uh, Talib and... Uh, uh, reasons Nick Gillespie mm-hmm. and well the author said you know he's kind of libertarian libertarian light maybe like there is some agreement but it's a great interview and I would recommend if people are you yeah. know want to nerd out that's a good one because you know Nick's always interesting he knows a lot of things and so the one thing they both talked about is how they enjoyed the literary aspect of his writing mm-hmm. in anti-fragility, so he doesn't make it easy. Like, you can't just go into the book and be like, here's the contents, let's cheat, right. which we learned before <laughs> we were prepping for the show. Like, you have to read the whole thing because it's almost like he's he's hidden the Easter eggs. Right, the information's the, locked away in stories. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, that's cool, and that inspired me, and I was like, the rest of today, I'm going to go work on my book. Nice. But, uh... Yeah, so, I mean, and it's funny, we, most of the, the talk about this stuff is in the context of college students, it seems like, but that's probably because that's the most easily identifiable, like, group of young people. That are being um, coddled yeah, to right. death, to well, mental it, illness. It rolls back into the uh, the topic that we covered earlier on school safety, I mean, like, the in terms of this sense of helplessness and, and inability to do anything, that, that Alice protocol for... Everyone hide and cover your eyes and hope that the shooter doesn't shoot you. Um, I, I would put that in like the same zone. These drills were basically you tell people that uh, they're incapable of defending themselves or they're in, you know, what I mean, you, you have no power. You're in the situation where you're just that, you know. You will be slaughtered unless you're lucky. <laughs> Cover right. your eyes and hope for the best. And, like, and in some ways, I've never thought about this before, but I do remember when I was like little, little. We were at Hewitt. Um, I went to Hewitt pri- Primary Private School in New York City in the Upper West Side, I think, East Side maybe. Uh, way back, 82nd. I didn't know that so. you went to school in Manhattan when you were a little, oh, little yeah, child. Oh, little kid. I had Aww. a little school uniform. And, and, I mean, I remember two things from that school, both, I guess, kind of traumatic. The one was that we had a fire drill in the middle of winter, and we were in Ugh. gym class. And gym class was awesome. I actually do independently remember this, that we had a silk parachute that we would play with and it would like, you know, you could do all these like fling it up and come down and run. And, and, and it was just like, I remember that that was like super cool, but we had this fire drill and we were in gym class and we used to just wear like regulation undies and maybe like a little vest. But I, I seem to recall actually being like kind of naked and forced out of the school onto the street. That sounds weird. Oh, so, so that's a memory. I don't know, you know, and then, um, and then that that concept of uh, the getting under the desk and like put your hands over oh, yeah, your hands the for the nuclear. Yeah. And I swear to God, Brink, we went back to New York probably in the late '90s with my parents, and we were kind of doing a memory loop. And we were on that street, and before I identified the actual school building, I saw that fallout shelter, that orange and yeah. black thing on the side of the building. I saw that, and I was like a little kid again, and I was like, ooh, the school's here, right? Like, I identified that and associated that, like, terror warning (laughs) with my school, right? And, I mean, we're talking, I was four or five. Right, well, yeah, it's it's very memorable. Yeah. Um, 
And so that idea of telling someone, now when you're in a nuclear situation and someone tells you to get under the desk and cover your head, that almost seems feasible because it's yeah. like, there's literally nothing you're gonna do. Like if, you know, if someone's nuking you, you know, kiss your ass goodbye, right? right. But in a school shooter situation, they're totally applying different. the same rules, and it's like, no, there's like a shit ton of stuff you could do. Right. Well, and not only that, but like the so obviously maybe I mean this isn't the best example. Like, uh, you two children can punch out a school shooter and save the day. Like that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. As much as uh, it's the general thrust of the narrative of school that you are powerless you know you're you that you're you are, fragile yeah and and not only that yeah you're 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 powerless and so fragile that you need to be handled with just extreme reticence and like if, beyond if you, bubble wrap right if you hear a a, a bad word or a, a word that we don't like or if you see something that's bad it could you know violent video games might scar you and make you broken for life i mean and, i genuinely and i i appreciate that this is an age difference thing but like, I genuinely thought, like, trigger warnings and, like, content warnings and, like, all that stuff. I mean, I kind of thought it was just a joke. Like, I was like, oh, this is, like, tangentially possibly happening at really, like, right, or that it would stupid be... places. And now I'm like, oh, no, it's the du jour. This is yeah. how stuff works. I see friends post things on Facebook where they do the whole, I'm giving you this warning, and then you got to scroll down, and then you got to go further down. And I appreciate that these are good people who've just been trained in a different way to right. the way mm -hmm. I've been trained. But I think the question that we're asking here is, is that sort of training is forcing people into that direction where we're all convinced that we are such fragile, special snowflake beings that like the world must conform to everything right. I want. Otherwise, the world's not good or fair. And it's like, you know what? It ain't. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. So I, I think that at the core of it, too, is that and it goes to the idea of uh, violence as well, um, like words as violence, which is bullshit. I concur. Words are not violence. That's why they can't hit you. Um, but <laughs> unless I don't know if you froze, if you yelled a swear and froze the air and compressed the frozen air into a stick, I guess <laughs> you could hurt people with words. But My it, spear of yeah, words. It's exactly. The, it's, that's a long process to be able to actually hurt someone with words. Um, but uh, that's kind of the core of it, is that the, even that, so, so like PTSD, shell shock, you know, those sorts of concepts. Originally, the, the magnitude of trauma that was you know, Required, perceived as necessary yeah. to acquire those conditions was, you know, battlefield a trench experience. war, maybe a little mustard right. gas, yeah. you know, and, like and no, really, like really, real, really bad Real stuff. battlefield with people like dying all around you. And that's not to say that people can't have a traumatic experience personally. And I mean, I'm sure that there's uh, lots of them. I know, you know, being robbed from people, I've heard that that's an extremely traumatic experience. You, Having been robbed, I will concur. Yeah, no, and you feel like it's not. I mean, I've had really horrible shit happens yeah, to me in life. Yeah, it's not just your life, personal stuff. It's like an emotional, because like somebody's in your space and they, you know, were going through your personal things and your life. Yeah, and, and, you, know, you know, or have them shit on your living room floor yeah. the third time they broke into your house in 10 days. Is that in San Francisco? No, that was in South Africa. Oh that was my on God. my honeymoon. We got burgled three times in 10 days. Oh Every single God. wedding present. My stuff that my great-grandmother brought in the great track. You know, like the first earrings Louis ever bought me, one was just left there broken and the other one taken. So it's like, it's that kind of stuff where you're just like, oh, I'm so mad. But right. then here's the thing. 
resilience. Like actually like just going, you know what? There's nothing I can do about this. I'm going to move on, learn what I right. can from it, and then like I mean, be a better, are, stronger, faster, higher, right, higher yeah. person. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what, would it have been a reasonable reaction for you to like tell all your friends that, you know, robbery really upsets you? And if you're going to bring that stuff up around you, that you need to say, you know, content warning, robbery, uh, there's a robbery in this story. I know that a lot of people have experienced trauma from robbery. Um, you yeah, know, I, I mean, mean you it's get what I'm just, at. well, here's the thing, right? So, so the sad part about where we are with, with life in general, right, is that so many of these, uh, these things that people have introduced really stem from a good place, right? It really is people are trying to be empathetic and compassionate right, and, and supportive, whatever. yeah. But the point is that's not how life works, first of all. Second of all, we can't do that because what if, like, your jollies are you feel traumatic if you, people are talking about robberies? Right. I mean, I know that's an absurd <laughs> example, but right. you understand the dichotomy right. you, you there, right? You can't allow everyone in the world to, to dictate to, unilaterally to, the terms right. of discussion because so, that doesn't work. <laughs> so what we're trying to do, right, as, as a society is we're trying to come up with the best rules to have us function in a functionally... I, I'll use air quotes, but semi-normal way. Like, there are certain behaviors that you have better outcomes. If you act this way, we're going to have better outcomes than this way, right? right? And so we've, we've veered way off into la-la land in terms of how people... People think they're too important. And you know what? If we're going to function as a society, all of us have to learn to live and let live. Well, and that's kind of the irony, too, of the... I mean, not irony. I don't know. So how to put this? So uh, we are at, in a lot of ways, the like apex of individualism in human history. You know, people are more individualistic than ever. They have more uh, feeling of confidence in asserting their individuality their own, you know, unique wrinkles, their own story, I all mean, those things. I mean, I think things. that's the trend of the, the, the future is it's going to become more and more and more decentralized till we I mean, are literally decentralized to us. I guess. But I think that what's happening is that there's a certain amount, there's a certain place where that is, it is destructive to culture and society because culture and society require a shared experience. And if everyone is such a unique individual that you literally can't share your experiences with other people, then how can you be on the same page, you know, culturally and societally think, to be able to have you you know, faith in institutions shared, and trust in one another and all those things? But the shared experience, I think, in some ways is sort of tropes, like literary tropes or like whatever, right? Like, right, it's but like, that's super siloed. It's like so, so. Yeah, but it's like like it's like boy meets girl, right? Like if you actually reduce boy meet girl to its, uh, that's its a little basic, heteros, it's like heteronormative, heterocentric there, Carla. Sure. Boy so so I'll girl. make it even worse. Meets boy they, meets girl Carla, is. Is, is is Eve meets Adam, right? God, now it's Christian right? religious now, right. Not, not, now we're in all kinds of and trouble, also right? that's that's a series of illusions that I think a lot of people wouldn't get. I, I was reading this article uh, that my parents sent me. I think it was like a Camille Paglia interview or something, but she was talking about a friend of hers who's a uh, law instructor, and the law instructor made some reference to Moses, 
and no one in the classroom knew who Moses was. You know, I think that that <laughs> genuinely is a, I, I forget if we, we've definitely talked about this, but whether it was on an episode or not, like when I was running for office in 2018, mm. someone said to me that more than 50% of American children have never heard the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And that shocked me. I mean, God, I'm I know, like, it's an awful lot well, of Christians that aren't you, telling their kids about Oh, the well, Ten Commandments, number one. Well, yeah, but, but the thing is, it's it's like, I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying like pro-Christian, pro-whatever. I'm just saying there are some sort of good rules that society has figured out over time that they cared enough about that they wrote down a few times. Yeah. And that we, you know, th- that seems like pretty good roadmaps. Things like don't hurt each other. But then it's like, okay, you can't have don't hurt each other, which seems like a good rule morph into you can't hurt each other's brains by saying words right well and there i don't know so i think that there also used to be more of a and again it's like this is the this is the push and pull between homogeneity and individuality that societies will always have but um i think that there used to be a more like unified canon for educated people if that makes sense Mm. like if you are an educated person you will have read these things right um and now, I mean, not only it's like there's a lot of uneducated people to begin with, uh, although at the same time, like uneducated people were amazingly educated at various points in the past and able to speak, you know, Greek and Latin. And like, and, boy, and, howdy, how for uneducated, you're pretty smart. Right. And, um, and, but, and read and write, which 50 percent right. of children in New Hampshire are no longer proficient. in. Yeah. And which what? Zero percent of the, the schools in Baltimore are proficient in. There was anyway, that's that's a whole separate issue. But so the point that I'm making, though, is that we we have these, you know, common cultural touchstones. We've had them. And I think that partially because of like historical ignorance, wanting to throw off trappings of old tradition, um, seeking new levels and uh, incarnations of individuality. Because of all those things, there's like there's not a common canon, or if there is, it's been replaced with our mass media pop culture canon. So like the reference are, um, you know, instead of uh, you know Mer- Mercutio and Hamlet and etc., it's Snape and Voldemort and Dumbledore. And well, you know what well, I mean? Like well, sure, how many people? But actually, like Harry how- Potter is actually. I mean that that's popular for a reason. I mean I think Harry yeah. Potter is going to you know it's going to be a classic like right. Shakespeare because it I, deals oh with God. the big thematic issues. And, you know, I no, I genuinely will. Here's the thing. Like, I mean, I was trying to read some Shakespeare the other day because that's the way I roll, folks. And I was like, damn, this stuff's hard. Like, you know, you yeah. forget. And I used to be super into it. But, like, when I did my MFA, we weren't, you know, that was very postmodernist. And I didn't understand 90% of what was going on in, in, in my English literature, English art classes. And I'm like, you know, I do have a law degree. I'm not a moron, or I am, but a special <laughs> Reading kind. Reading Homie Baba and his impenetrable right, paragraphs. But, but, like, the kind of things we were dealing with there was, uh, was Shakespeare a plagiarist? And was Marlowe truly the real Shakespeare? Right. And blah, blah, blah. Instead of just being like, why don't we just read pretty words on a page, learn the <laughs> stories, learn the lessons, like, you right. know, greed is bad. You know, well, and that's blah, the thing. Blah, blah. I think that those academic programs, it's like they eviscerated the Western canon. Yes. And so now we're building from scratch, and it's Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Harry Potter, 
the Transformers franchise. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, Avatar. No, I mean, this is our new. better or worse ones, and that's the thing that I think is important. Is what you want to look for is you actually do want to find the art pieces that are taking the same thematic things, which are supposed to teach us as cultures. Mm good and bad behaviors, good and bad choices, things like, you know, one of the challenges I think we face as a society is that everyone thinks envy somehow now is like a good thing. And it's right. like envy should be like, no, that's half our problems is because everyone's like, I want what you have. Yeah. And it's like, you know how I got it? I worked hard. You want it? You work hard. Well, and I guess where this is connected to the anti-fragility concept too is that part of it is that I, I see like, Again, like the the Bible, I think it sets a pretty high standard for behavior, you know, like the kind of standard that might give someone that is emotionally fragile stress and anxiety, and they might not be able to deal with it. Um, wow, <laughs> you know that's what I mean? interesting. Uh, yeah. So we have a new ethos of be yourself always and, you know, don't conform. And well, well, but here's the thing, right? <laughs> so, so the question is, if it's like be yourself, okay, Fine, that on the face of it sounds pretty good. But then the question is, what is yourself, right? right. So, so if we're looking at the heart of human nature, right? So then the question becomes, we, we can put a pin in nature nurture, right? But now we're like a human being. So now the question is, like, uh, you know, are, are, are we naturally more evil? Or are we naturally more good? Where does right. that come from or whatever? And so the, 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 the idea that we should be seeding children with a sense of self that trends them towards more positive behavior and yeah. and and goodness that seems like a no-brainer I mean I, I concur I don't think that be yourself necessarily means be moral or good and that's why I don't know if it's like the best dictum for uh, uh, culture well you see that's I, <laughs> and I think that's okay that's what we're debating right but it's like I think, I mean, when you say to someone, be yourself, I don't know, now I'm going to sound like that crazy Kellogg guy who had the monkey and the cereal that has been killing people for 100 <laughs> years. Thank you, sad American diet. Um, but, you know, where, where if you could do some kind of experiment, right, you see this in, like, sci-fi movies and yeah. stuff where they put the poor, like, I don't know, mutant child in a sterile you know, right. lockdown laboratory room with white tiles and everything, and then it's like, oh, I guess they're inherently evil, you know. And it's like, well, because you, you raise them in a lab and yeah. put them in a really bad environment. Well, um, I don't know. I'm not. I I just think that we're we're monkeys with an animal nature that and a brain that's attached to it that can analyze our animal stuff that we're doing. So like I, I think like well, we're trying to evolve <laughs> to be less and less monkeys, yeah. right? Right. We're trying to evolve to be more I mean, rational or not. I you see, so, because I think like some people don't the, think yeah, that. I don't know. I I think yes, but we only have the tools available to us and like you can only expect so much from people. Is, is more of where I'm sort of landing. <laughs> but, 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 but uh, so do you think, because we do both agree that generally, like I believe the world's getting better, right? Oh, yeah. Life's never been better and whatever. So all yeah. these, like, like really a lot of the fragility stuff that we see is literally what I would call, like, like if you want to talk about white privilege, it's not really a thematic thing that like I buy into because I think it just, you know, makes people fight about the wrong issues. Yeah. But it's like, these are really like hashtag first world problems, right? Like all this stuff where people are well, like, oh my God, oh, my totally. feelings. No, but the, all right, it's so like, you are so lucky to just be able to like worry about stupid crap. Right. 
Well, so, and I, I agree. And I think that this is where I, I was listening to the, a couple of different uh, talks about this concept. And I, what, what is interesting is that, so for example, I mean, if you're, you're continuing to read uh, The Righteous Mind, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the problems aren't real. Your brain feels them as exactly as real. So like, that's the, the, the rub is that the personal experience that these people are having of anguish, trauma, whatever, it's as real as anything. You know what I mean? It's, there's, it's not fake. It's not made up. That, but that doesn't mean that the response to it is to say, that's such an appropriate response. You keep feeling that way. You know what I mean? But you have to, like, there, is a, there has to be a level of empathy with the people. Like, I'm not willing to write off, like, the quote-unquote snowflakes who are literally shaking because literally Hitler is in office. They, you know, I, I think that they have, like, a set of values and a worldview that's making them angry and sad all the time uh, that will not be conducive to them being happy. But those experiences they're having are legitimate and real. Right, um, except that, you know, so so I've been doing a lot of, like, reading on on the self, right, and trying to find balance, right? So so I've discovered two things, and, and this has to do with, like, the way the mind works. So... That voice in your head that's like sort of emphasizing the trauma or like you're reliving this experience, that's actually a really bad thing for your brain to be doing because it's basically looping. If you're thinking about things in the past, you're, um, you're, you're depressed, right? And if you're thinking about things in the future, you're worrying. So you're creating this thing where you're never in the now, you're never in your presence, you're never in your experience of your now. And so like I've been working on really trying to just be in the now and I've actually found that removing those like negative voice loops that create that sort of fragile state where you're like focused on negative things mm. uh, really does like free yourself up to be much more present be living much more in the now and sort of getting rid of those negative things. So one of the things I worry about is that we create we're creating this society where it's it's a almost self-indulgence of negative thoughts, mm -hmm. right? So you're 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 actually leaning into things that make people more unhealthy from a mental health standpoint than going, okay, what are other things we could be doing like living more in the present, yeah. exercise, looking at what you're eating, making sure you have the right social connections and everything. And then it's like, you know what? If you don't feel comfortable talking to your friends about whatever that trauma is, um, maybe that's something to look at and to work through. But then once you've worked through it, that trauma should go in the, I'm over that bucket. And right. then it's like, you're, you're, you're foraging, for, foraging, forging, for, forging, foraging. We are foraging ahead. Foraging would be if there were delicious berries and mushrooms. And available. mushrooms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I mean, I think so, uh, to wrap this up in a little, in just a minute, I, I'm going to bring up, my favorite thing that I was going, I talked about on an earlier episode that we did that unfortunately the audio was messed up. So nobody got to hear it. Um, but all of this makes me think about um, the author, Michael Moorcock, who is a sci-fi speculative fiction, interesting British author. Um, and the way that he organizes the world, you know, you were asking the question of, are we good or bad? Um, the way that he organizes his fictional universe is, it's not good and bad. Those aren't the axes that uh, people are looking at. It's chaos and order. 
So there's, uh, and again, <laughs> mentioning Jordan Peterson, this is kind of what Jordan Peterson says, but everybody don't doesn't like him for it, but everybody likes Michael Moorcock when he says it. So I don't know what that's about. I think you have to, if you're a socialist that hates Margaret Thatcher, then you get a pass on the chaos order dichotomy. But Interesting, um, right? Yeah. Hmm. But uh, basically, the, the idea being that Chaos and order are both incredibly powerful forces that can improve and shape the world and individuals. Um, but too much of either one is disastrous. And, you know, chaos is the only force that can be creative. It's the only thing that can make new uh, life and ideas and art and designs. Uh, it also is the thing that makes new horrors, you know, uh, chaotic murder, chaotic uh, wanton killing, people engaging in their, you know, passions, unsated, that's harsh chaos too. So there's all of this good and bad on that side. And then on the order side, order can be great. It can mean that, you know, the house is properly built and everything's cut right. And it can mean that... Uh, Gas you know, chambers. The, well, exactly. And those are the flip sides. It's the, the trains run on time and so do the execution schedules. Right. Um, so with either one, there's there's a flip, there's a, a positive and a negative. And the question isn't, you know, are you chaotic or are you orderly or are you for the forces of chaos? Like you'd have to be like a demon or a paladin, you know, to be for order or for chaos. What you want is the proper mixture of those forces and the proper balance of those things so that you can have new creativity without the excess of too much chaos. Right. And you can have structure without the stultifying, uh, forces of order, you know, taking over too much. And and yeah, and I I mean I agree with all of that. And actually, in in Talib's book, the anti fragility, one of the things like one of the main treaties is this idea of uh, failure, right? Mm -hmm. Like that things have to be able to uh, fail because if yeah. you don't fail, you get a higher and higher concentration of mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm where you're pursuing the wrong thing. So, you know, that and could be like America's foreign policy, like too right. many wars, you know? And it's like, we just keep doubling down. We're spending so much money. Let's right. just go mm -hmm. spend some more. We're going to be in a war with well, China and soon. Like, and you psychologically, know? I think that so much of this is it's trying to keep chaos at bay and out of the minds of young people. You know, it's trying to create an ordered, safe situation but, like, any time that you engage with the forces of order, if you do it too hard, then you create a prison camp. And that's the problem, is that in the, in the name of safety and keeping chaos at bay, ironically, these progressive liberal institutions are acting very conservative and setting up, you know, well, uh, unutterable un speech. Yeah, and, and not just <laughs> acting conservative. I mean, actually acting in totalitarian and tyrannical ways. That yeah. if you, you know, if you took the schools and you just pretended like schools hadn't existed and that Trump started public schools today and you right. were like, Trump has schools where right. you have no free speech, you have a police officer People have to guns, ask to have, use the bathroom. You know, people would be Teachers like, this no. is outrageous. How can this right. stand? And what you do... Close the when, Trump schools. When, right, exactly, <laughs> right? So when you talk about this fragility also is what you're, you're talking about is, is hiding risk. And we're, tr we're raising children who... who think that there is no risk to life. We are raising children who just walk willy-nilly across streets 
because they assume that someone's going to stop the car. And I'm like, look, what you need to understand is if a car hits you, you're going to lose. You might yeah. actually want to look before you cross the street, kiddo. I mean, the human body is pretty anti-fragile, and you only have to learn that lesson once. But- <laughs> As you did with every broken bone. Exactly. <laughs> I never broke the same one in the same way twice. I never broke the same one in the same way twice either. <laughs> well, anyway, we should probably wrap it up here. I think that we have a, a big, busy day coming up. But thank you so much for uh, listening to us explore these ideas a little bit and uh, if you listen to the end let us know what you want us to talk about next and remember you can find us on Stitcher and uh, Podbean Podbean and Apple Music, Apple Music and Spotify. All of those, Spotify so all of that good stuff find us Hoopa on Hoopajube I just made that up <laughs> but it'll be real soon um, so uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us for Told You So and we'll talk to you next week Peace have a great out. day bye